Hello and welcome to The Agenda on Monday the 30th of January 2023. It's been a wonderful week for Glasgow Celtic and it's a lovely, it's actually quite a mild day in regards to uh, freshness and coldness. So spring is on the verge of springing, spring, sprung, I don't know. Um, I am joined this week by Alan Edgar as always. Alan, how are you? I'm good, mate. Echo that is a, a lovely day out, so look forward to this. And you're a bastard and you get a ticket for the cup final, didn't you? <laughs> I, I get pretty bad luck when it comes to ballots as well, so if you could say, just take into account my previous record prior to this, then that would be that would be welcomed. But the answer to your question is yes. Yes, uh, myself and Barry didn't get tickets and uh, we were whining about it and uh, Alan was, uh, I could see him being sympathetic, but at the same time also just being like, Get away. Uh, but no, I'm sure play- he's gone on about it before the final again anyway, so yeah. I'm sure we'll come back to this. Uh, fair play, Alan. Uh, Kieran Devlin has returned from his travels. Kieran, how are you? I'm very good, very refreshed, and uh, I've missed your meteorolo- meteorological introductions. They've been good. I feel they're getting uh, m- even even more consistent than the uh, <laughs> refereeing performances we've, we've been having. <laughs> Thank you. That's a nice little segue. Nice little segue. Um, It's good to have you back here. Genuine pleasure. And thanks to um, uh, Colin and Callum, who did a fantastic job uh, stepping in. Uh, Good cover to have uh, on the agenda. Um, Yeah, it's a lovely day. It's been a good weekend. Uh, We went out for uh, Claire's mum's birthday. We had some drinks on Saturday. Then the game yesterday. We watched that a little bit hungover, but it was really good for the system. Alan, what have you been up to this week? Anything exciting? Um, I took. Well, I was out on Friday night, which you'll be aware of because you were there, but failed to mention it. Um, and that we run down your weekend there, and then for Christmas we, my brother and myself had got a grand and grander. Um, we said we'd take them for lunch, so we took them to the number seven at Celtic Park on Saturday. Um, which was really nice. Um, really nice. My grand and grander were in great form. Gave me a hard time as usual, as you would expect. Um, no, it was lovely, really nice, and then went for a couple of drinks after it as well. And then on Sunday, just waited about eighteen hours for the Celtic game to start. Um, so no, it was it was a lovely weekend, all good. Um, really enjoyed it. So um, yeah, all good. Thanks. That's good. That's great. The experience of kind of dining at Celtic Park when there's not a game is it is it kind of does it feel that extra wee bit special because you're there when there's not a game on? Yeah, I, I do like seeing. I do like, I've said this before, that I, I like going around the stadium on non-match days quite a lot. I'm quite fortunate um, that, you know, it's not, it's not far away. I can, you know, take a walk down. Um, and days like this, I really enjoy it. I like going down, having a wee meal about the Superstore, maybe take a run, you know, if it's a nice day like this, go for a run and try and kind of do a, a couple of wee bits around the stadium under the North Stand, etc. And it's nice. It's just you maybe see wee things that um, you've not noticed before. Um, so, no, it is, it is always nice. And, you know, the food was lovely. The service was great, etc. as well. Um, so no complaints. It was it was lovely. So if you haven't done it, then it is, you know, for a wee occasion, um, it is worth doing. Great stuff. Uh, and pass on your... your... Our wishes to your gran and granda. Good stuff. Um, it's funny because... I'll, I'll do that. That'll, that'll mean a lot to them. Just picking <laughs> up from where we left yeah. <laughs> last week. That was a, a genuine, sort of heartfelt, nice kind of... No, they will. Aye. I'll uh, pass that on. They will nah, I, I take it back. Don't don't pass it on to them. All right, how about that? Uh, I had a, a, one of my friends actually did the Celtic tour 
for the first time the other week. And it's actually pretty funny the amount of people who haven't done the tour, the amount of people I speak to who haven't done the tour. And I always think to myself, like, if you're a Celtic fan and you're from Glasgow, I don't know, there's almost like a sort of, it seems a bit touristy or something about not doing the tour. But honestly, see in reality, see if you've got a couple of spare hours. Like, we've done it three or four times. I did it with Claire's parents. I've done it with my with my dad as well and stuff. Like, it's really great. It's a really, really great tour. So it's something that maybe doesn't come to mind to Glasgow-based or even Scotland-based Celtic fans. But yeah, I'd highly recommend the tour. Very good. Um, Kieran, yourself, it's been a couple of weeks since we spoke to you. How was your holiday? You said you're feeling refreshed. Good to hear. Talk us through any bits that happened. Uh, yeah, I was away with Caroline's family. Um, so it was nice to sp- spend time with them. Um, it was also like her sister also brought um, her boy- boyfriend along. So it was uh, so some fraternal solidarity as they, because they did, they, they is trying to bond. We had a lot of bonding over um, the sisters shared quirks. Uh, so there is uh, lots of lots of sun. I, I got through seven books. Um, I got to um, there's like there's like a monkey resort. I got to um, in a very ethical sense play with the monkeys, which was which was nice. It wasn't like a horrible zoo where they're fed crap. So that was it was quite good. And then yeah, it was it was gorgeous gorgeous weather. And so it was a bit a bit of a Monday Monday blues. But I think as as you guys were saying, it's also really pretty here today, which has been nice to help help with that. And yeah, I've just had I had a great time, had really nice food, lots and lots of booze every day. I think I don't Gal, have you seen the film Another Round? Oh yes, yes. Um, you know how they they have this plan to take maintain their blood <laughs> alcohol level about zero point five percent or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that was mine for about ten days. <laughs> Just like like pina coladas, beers, and different wines about like every two hours or so. <laughs> even even at night time, just like at four in the morning, I just have it with a IP, IV drip or something. Um, yeah, it was great. <laughs> I had a, yeah, it was nice, and um, yeah, and I also managed to catch the all the sell all the time sell we're playing as well which would be nice i know i know uh, there's a, obviously if you live in australia or the states or something there can be some really awkward times but um and i very sympathize with that but it was quite nice waking up in the morning and the celtic were playing at 8 15 I, I quite like that because you, you wake up you roll out of bed stick it on they beat morton um five nil was it five nil i think it was five now yeah and then you just go about your day having a good time it's, it's a really fun feeling yeah i mean and you were half cut most of the time so i mean that's <laughs> have a great time anyway I'm, that's where the iv drip and the and <laughs> the earlier always really comes into its own i always find it funny when people are like uh Oh, I was away on holiday and I was drinking every day and all that. And other people go, "Oh, you know, I I couldn't do that. I couldn't drink every day. I, I could. <laughs> I really could. It sounds absolutely glorious. Uh, but no, glad to hear you're refreshed, Kieran. Glad to hear you had a good time. Um, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get with the opening question. In fact, also the other thing I was going to say is, Kieran read seven books in two weeks. I'm not sure I've read seven books in my life. I'll be honest with you. But there you go. Uh, I have read the um, Sean Michael, Michael's autobiography though, and that was good. So, did opening... you catch that one when you were on holiday, Kieran? No, <laughs> no. So it was it was my eighth book as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lovely stuff. Uh, opening question. This is from Dave. Um, he WhatsApped and he asked, um, "At what point does Awata overtake Turnbull? 
Uh, nice wee sharp question for us to open up the uh, the agenda. Obviously, there's still some work to be done in regards to transfers out and stuff over the next couple of days. Um, but this squad, we, we talked about it on the, the weekly, on Thursday. This squad is getting to the point now where people might not make the squad on a, on a kind of regular basis. Turnbull's still at the point where he's, he's, he's still there. Alan, Awata... It's you know we're going to talk about some talking points that Ange brought up about how he th- how important he thinks Awata is. He keeps mentioning them and stuff, so he's clearly very kind of at the forefront of his thoughts. Turnbull obviously came on yesterday against um, Dundee United as well, so he's still there and there or thereabouts. But at what point does maybe Awata take over from Turnbull, or is that going to be the case? Yeah, I think the the first thing would be that I don't think they're in. They're very different types and profiles of player. Um, and I think uh, Awata would probably be more inclined to see himself playing in the six. Or I think based on the skill set and what the limited amount we've seen on of him, I think we would probably expect that that's where he would be a more natural fit. But Ange has shown that he does have flexibility in where he'll deploy midfielders. Um, you know, we've seen that with Matt O'Reilly. Um, so, you know, th- there is scope there. And I think... I think Ange's I think it's slightly complicated for Awata and that Callum McGregor will play at all times. The only question is will Callum play higher up? And I think Ange has also um made that point in his quotes in recent weeks as well that the flexibility of where McGregor can play and still play at a very high standard is something that he's acutely aware of. Um which aside from making it easier for David Turnbull, I think probably makes it harder because if Awata plays in the six, then Callum McGregor will still play. And then you would presume that he would push higher up. Um, so I, I think at the moment, I think in games where you're just looking to rotate, like the game yesterday, for example, the game was you know largely done. And I don't even mean just in terms of the result. I think when it went to now, Dundee United decided that they didn't want to get a cuffing um, and they didn't show any ambition towards the end of the game, um, probably with that result earlier in the year at mind. So... I think the substitutes yesterday is more about rest than it is about, you know, the pecking order. Um, so I wouldn't probably wouldn't read too much into it. David Turnbull has done well when he's come on in recent weeks and he's made an impact in the limited game time he's had, which is what he needs to do. But I, I, I do feel that Awata coming in off the back of, you know, a, a, an award-winning season in Japan, exactly the profile of player that, that Ange wants and a player that Ange has worked with before and knows very well. I feel like it's probably inevitable that there will be a reshuffle that will that will put him at the forefront. I wouldn't see any sort of the same reshuffle happening at the moment for David Turnbull. And that's you know, Turnbull, as I say, has done really well when he's come on in recent weeks. But it is about trying to push up the levels of the team. Um and I think David Turnbull has largely found it difficult to get proper game time. Um or the sort of game time that a player of his age would crave. And I just don't see how that would get any easier with bringing another talented midfielder in. Um, you know, the kind of breakthrough of Aaron Moy has already, you know, been taking a Matt O'Reilly's suffering in the short term. David Turnbull's kind of slightly further down that picking order as well. So it's very, very difficult. Um, there's not a straightforward, easy answer, but it, I suppose a water coming in, I don't know how it directly affects Turnbull, but it certainly won't give him any easier pathway into the first team between now and the end of the season. Uh, Kieran, what's your kind of takes and thoughts on Awata and Turnbull in the squad? 
Yeah, I think Alan, Alan, Alan's spot on. Um, it is more helpful to think about the minutes on the pitch than about the players themselves, I think, just as because, as Alan says, McGregor's going to play. At the moment, it does feel like Hitati, McGregor, one other. And Moy is Moy's done well recently. O'Reilly's form has dropped. Um, but Awata, you, you know, his comments about about having Awata as the six and being able to push McGregor up. I'm going to touch on maybe some formation versatility a bit further in, but I, I do wonder, you know, it does feel like, some, you know, the summer window can change things if somebody comes in or we send another number eight or whatever, but it does feel like potentially Awata, McGregor, Hitati could could be the the midfield three Ange has in mind for the Champions League next year or Europe if, God forbid, we don't make it. Um, and it, 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 you know, it, O'Reilly might leave. Who, who knows what what will happen in the summer? But as fully, Ange has a very set plan in mind. And Turnbull is getting minutes. I think he scored two really, really nice goals when he when he's come on. But I think yesterday was a case where he did look. He just because the level of the team has risen with the past eighteen months or so. He did look. I just a little behind the pace. Like it was just quite slow. We, you know the the energy that even even O brought brought to the the team. Somebody who was looking to play at pace constantly. You know, I think we'll we'll come on to his debut shortly. But when the team is so built around one touch, two touch, playing at a very very quickly, and it's increasingly clear that you know so, most of the signings brought in this window, some of the ones brought in summer, but not all of them are built around that idea. People who can't quite get on that level for all their other qualities are starting to be, maybe be left behind. And I do think it's an interesting six months for Turnbull. I do think it's possible that, you know, I, I was we, we speculated before the window, this the January window opened, whether we might see Turnbull leave. I think the fact we didn't bring in another number eight sort of puts bed to that. But I think the summer is a different scenario, especially, and, you know, I, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that one or both of O'Reilly leaves. Um, depending on obviously the market at the time, and we whether we'd bring in an, another number eight. Um, so I think it's I think both Turnbull and O'Reilly have a very interesting second half of the season ahead of them. Because like, O'Reilly is so badly out of form, because Moy, despite you know, he has, you know, he's no longer number six. I think maybe he was brought in to potentially be that McGregor cover, but he has pretty firmly been used in the recent weeks and months as a number eight. I think it's quite interesting what that means for those two and whether we do go into the market again in the summer. Um, so I've gone away from like the Awata Turnbull thing, but I just think it's quite an interesting <laughs> position, especially because, you know, I think Alan and I were both quite keen to bring in a, num- a number eight this window, even if even if Awata was brought in. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting summer for that area of the pitch. Alan, do you want to come in? Yeah, I just think, Maybe one of the things as well that because it, it feels like that the names change in terms of who we're talking about, um, maybe month to month, as in a player that maybe has fallen out of favour. But I think the one thing that we have noticed that there is a tendency for players to, um, to maybe drop out a little bit, find themselves on the the fringes of the first team, um, but then come back in. And I think probably one of the big examples would be would be Dyson Maeda, a player who just looked ill in the season, like maybe. His form wasn't there, he'd lost his way, maybe a bit of confidence was gone. And then, you know, I, I, when I seen him that he wasn't in the first team yesterday, um, you know, for Dundee United, I thought that's a, that's a huge loss. And I think there has been 
I think that's happened to a number of players through the season where they've gone through maybe a tough time, they've came out of the side and then they've come back in. So I don't think it's beyond, and I think maybe it goes back to what me and yourself and Samani were talking about in the weekly on Thursday, that it's not beyond the realms of possibility at all that players who are on the fringes at the moment might actually be key players come March or April. Yeah. Um, I probably wouldn't stick my hat on it and say that David Turnbull is that player because I think he is finding himself quite a bit out of the picture. But for, you know, Matt O'Reilly, guys like that, I think, it, it, you know, it certainly is a different story and you wouldn't be surprised if O'Reilly finds himself back in the first team, you know, sooner rather than later. Same with other players in the team that I think because they're not starting and maybe their last few performances prior to that weren't at their best, I think this team more than ever, I'm very, very mindful of writing players off that actually, nah, he's out of the frame now. I think Ange does, because he has the strength and depth at the moment, I think he is quite comfortable and leaving guys out, giving them a, a bit of time to kind of find their own way and then, you know, work their way back in training and then get an opportunity in the first team. So, you know, that that would be, you know, that would be the path for David Turnbull and a few others potentially. But, you know, it's it's getting that game time. It's, it's obviously going to be difficult. Do you think, <clears throat> um, I, I do wonder how, when Ange brings a player in and I would imagine, and I might, I might be way off here, but I imagine he would look at the, he would have a projection in his mind about how long potentially that player stays. So we bring in Matt O'Reilly uh, last January. Uh, he really hits the ground running. And I can imagine in Ange's mind saying, okay, we're probably going to have him for at least two windows, maybe three windows. This summer coming is the summer that he potentially might go maybe just on the forum, because Ange obviously sees how good he is and obviously talks about planning for four or five windows down the line and stuff. Do you think that's changed with Matt O'Reilly? Matt O'Reilly specifically, um, he's an exceptionally good talent. He's a clearly going to develop into something very, very good. Everyone can see that. But he's out of form just now, which happens to players. We, we've talked about it. But do you think Ange in his head, and in, in the spreadsheet in his head, do you think he's maybe moved the transfer window that, O'Reilly might leave from maybe this summer to the January or do you think maybe plans have kind of changed a little bit because we really did think that O'Reilly would have really, he's not hes not fully developed into the potential he, he undoubtedly has and that still could potentially come but do you think maybe plans have changed in regards to the need to replace him, Kieran, thoughts? I think, I think so but at the same time I think it'll be like a risk reward scenario in the summer because if you sell him now, you're going, you're not going to get the money you'd have wanted for him this time last year. Yeah. Um. With it, with the potential he has, the quality he has, I think you'd maybe struggle again. The market so <laughs> up in there. You know, we thought we were, we could get fifteen million for for Juranovic, so maybe it could just be as very idle speculation. But you, you maybe struggle to get. Um, eight figures for him at the moment on current form, despite his potential. But whereas you know we think with his age range, the potential he has, the quality he has, you would want at least eight figures for him. Yeah. Um. So I, I do wonder whether that whether that will factor in, whether there might not be that much interest from from clubs that O'Reilly and Celtic would see as a clear step up in the in the first place because of that form, or whether you know not cut your losses, but you will think okay, he's he's not. It's not working for him, and we do need we need a Champions League quality player in that position. Is it worth selling him for seven, eight million, and then reinvesting 
you know, even selling both him and Turnbull and reinvesting it in a player who can help us raise the raise the level in the same way we hope players like Awata, Kobayashi, potentially even Okan in in the long term. I think that's that's the sort of question you have. I don't think it's yeah. I I it depends so much on the market. You know, if if he's still out of form, but a Premier League side comes in with like 10, 11, 12 million, I think you you have to take it as it, as it, as it stands and then just trust in the scouting system that we have that we can send a class Korean or Japanese midfielder. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think it's just, it's just getting to the stage where you have faith in the scouting system. Like I guess in a way we have with selling GG and JJ that you 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 you're optimistic that Johnston and O can not just replace them but yeah. upgrading them. I have and you know I have some personal doubts about 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 some of that, but I think that's where just from a strategic perspective, that's that's the sort of faith you as an institution have to show in your, your scouting system that regardless of what players go, whether O'Reilly leaves, that the player you have coming in can be as good, if not better, to help us, as Alan said, raise the level of the team constantly, constantly, every window. Yeah, Alan, do you want to give us some brief thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd maybe, I'd maybe just offer just a slightly different perspective on, on the O'Reilly. I, I'm not sure. I think it is determined largely by external factors. I, I don't think Ange would think too heavily at the moment about whether O'Reilly specifically will leave in the summer. I think the likelihood is they might think that they will recruit in that area in the summer, whether it be, you know, Turnbull, um, O'Reilly, or, or maybe just adding to it. Um, and I think probably the, the, I think more than anyone, there will be a confidence within the club that O'Reilly will play a huge part between now and the end of the season. So I think the, the World Cup break, um, and then he's obviously Aaron Moyes, you know, it's, it's, I would say it's been a combination of O'Reilly not being at his best and Moy, showing something that he didn't in the early part of it, which has kept O'Reilly out of it. And I, I think, I do believe that Matt O'Reilly will have a, a, a big input in the team's hopefully success between now and June. So I think um, we could easily revisit this discussion in six weeks and Matt O'Reilly could be back up to um, 25 million and um, unsellable. So I, I'd maybe just a wee bit of caution there. It feels very, you know, maybe slightly reactionary at the moment because... I think you've seen more than enough from Matt O'Reilly. It's been a tough year for him. He's played in a lot of different areas and he's still very, very young. So I, I think that I think that learning experience will be good for him in the long term. I, I think he'll have a, a huge part to see between now and June. Yeah, I think sometimes we forget about his age and his, his experience. Um, and, you know, funnily enough, Callum McGregor, when he kind of first came into the Celtic team and it started under Ronnie Dyla and, you know, he really kind of, I think he scored his first two European games, RK Reykjavik and against um, Ligia Warsaw and stuff like that. And then he kind of dropped out. And even under Brendan Rodgers, Callum McGregor, and that's who we're going to move on to talking about, Callum McGregor under Brendan Rodgers really found it hard to, to break into that team at first. But then when he did break in, you know, and he really became consistent, that's when we really saw the best of them, and that's absolutely no question. That that's I can see O'Reilly being on that path, Kieran. Uh, just quickly, because I know we've been on the the question for a while. But I'm not look not writing O'Reilly off at all. I'm just thinking about it from the club. You are probably going to try and sell one or two key assets in the summer, regardless of Champions League money, just because that's that's how we're run. And if you're thinking strategically, you want to choose the if you can choose those players, you want the ones who can maximise the revenue without having 
the least impact on the on the first team. And I do think at this stage, O'Reilly is probably one of those players. Um, so I think it's just from that that perspective rather than saying you know he's, he's done at Celtic or anything I do I absolutely can come back and be a brilliant player for the sake of that season and beyond I'm just thinking from that that side of things yeah absolutely no question um, Callum McGregor played his 400th had his 400th 400th appearance for Celtic um, here's just some quotes from he was asked about uh, Scott Brown and he replied Bruni got 628 that just shows you again how good he was for this club that's massive numbers and a huge testament to him. But I've still got enough time. Hopefully, if I stay fit, keep playing well and do the right things, who knows where I'll be in five or six years' time. When you pull on the jersey to play for this club, you're under pressure every week. You give the best of yourself and you're judged by the highest standards. So you bear that in mind every time you play for this club and these supporters that you have given your absolute maximum. Of course, you take every game as it comes. Once you start to rack up these milestones, you realise you're doing something right. Your preparation and performances are good. You just look to the next one. Um, he then goes on to talk about uh, the manager. The gaffer doesn't hand out praise too often. He likes to keep people on their toes. You know when you're doing well and when the manager picks you that you're doing something right. Sometimes when you praise people too much, they become comfortable and he likes that not to happen. It's worked well so far. As long as we're winning and playing, uh, things are happy. And then he also kind of talks about his leadership skills. Um, football has changed from shouting and screaming at people, although sometimes you need it. But on a daily basis, it is about what you do in and around the training ground, how you conduct yourself on the park and what you give to the team. We are lucky that we have a lot of characters like not just me, we have Joe Hart, we have Greg Taylor and others. They set the tone with me and I have maintained that to be a successful team, you need five or six leaders. We need that. Great quotes. Really, really great quotes. Um, You know, clearly we are going to see the best of Callum McGregor um, and I think that I really do think he's the type of guy that if he stays fit, he's got the intelligence and the way he plays football. I was watching him yesterday, just see how he receives the football and how he moves it on. And he does that wee thing where he takes that touch, the player comes in and then he pushes it. Just an absolute joy to watch. Um, 400 appearances, uh, incredible, Alan. Just a really fantastic player already. Yeah, um, it, must be a, it must be a great position to be in and probably... You would have to go back to, and it's just you would have to go back to probably someone like I don't know Billy McNeil maybe to go back that far to someone who has achieved so much with still so much football ahead of him. You know, um, it's and it is incredible. I just found it funny when you mentioned about the the way he receives the ball and the way he moves away. He doesn't really. It's as if he doesn't run. It's like it's like a skip because it's very quick. It's not. He doesn't take big strides. He takes tiny wee steps, and as he's just he is a pleasure to watch. Um, he is, and I know this is something that people probably say a lot, and maybe anyone that works with youth teams or you know coaches kids or has kids or whatever. He's a great example of a player to watch because everything he does is. It's not. He doesn't do isolated things. He does everything as part of a, a kind of bigger motion receiving the ball, moving away, stepping on, scanning. He does all the things that top, top players do. Um, and he does it to a very high standard and he does it to high standard consistently. He really does tick all the boxes. And um, I, I listened to the reaction yesterday and you guys touched on him briefly. And I think you were spot on. It's the consistency with which he puts in a good performance. Um, he might not be the player that everyone you look at every week and... Um, you know, he's not maybe one that gets the same 
You know, he's Jota, for example, when he gets the ball, a wave goes round. But when you need something from this team, when you need people to kind of step up a little bit, Callum McGregor is generally one of the ones that does that for Celtic. And he has an incredible knack as well. And this is something that uh, you, you can't teach. I don't know how, maybe it's just coincidence. When the team needs something, Callum McGregor over the years has really shown that he is someone who, in a kind of moment of need, he can really step forward and do something that he maybe hasn't done before yeah. or we've not seen from him before. And I'd, he's just a pleasure to watch. Um, we are extremely fortunate to have a player like that come through our youth system and decide to stay here for the, the best years of his career. Um, and as a captain, I remember his first couple of interviews as captain and I was quite impressed by the respect with which he spoke to the fans. You know, he, he doesn't dumb it down. Um, you know, he doesn't, he, he, he speaks with respect to you about how he plays the game um, and it's quite insightful um, as opposed to just, you know, pleasantries. And it was a very tough period that he came in as captain as well and um, perhaps he's a better for it, but he is just a joy to watch. Um, he, he's just a, a sublime footballer, quite simply. It feels like he's earned everything that has come his way. Like, um, and I, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but Scott Brown uh, was part of a, almost like part of a machine when, you know, Brendan Rodgers comes in and he's part of this this machine that just kind of runs over everyone. And there's no question his importance. There's plenty of games you could point to where he really kind of stepped up and grabbed the team by the, the scruff of the neck. And I'm not in any way, you know, running down his legacy or anything. But Cal McGregor had to start from the beginning. Like, the, it's almost a really unenviable place where he came from as captain. You get this captain saying... It's right at rock bottom and you have to build everything up. And I really, really respect how he's handled himself and how he's earned it all. Kieran, just your thoughts on Callum McGregor. Yeah, I think that's an, an important point as well. Even from their, their growth as players, you know, that I think, you know, Brown, when he was signed, was, he was a, he was a cracking player at Hibs. You know, he, he, is, he developed into a brilliant key player at Celtic, but he was automatically a first-team player and a first-team regular. And then, that, you know, when he was handed the captaincy, it, it was quite natural because of his personality. Yeah. And he, he took to the took to the role well. And everyone, I guess, expected him to because of the character he had. Whereas I was a McGregor captain sceptic. Lo- I've loved him as a player for years, but I was a bit unsure because of the way... Yeah, that that final season unraveled, and and because he he tends he was somebody who tended to do his talking with the football rather, um, you know that that in itself is a, we've talked about it. That's a different form of captain, and he is a different form of captain Brown because he is somebody who tends to lead by example rather than through through vocal encouragement or vocal <laughs> constructive criticism. <laughs> um, he's, but I just I just love it. Like yesterday was just encapsulated everything I love about him. You mentioned that yeah. Uh, just, just earlier, there's the way he receives the ball immediately gets his head up and very quickly makes the right pass. He just sets the the tone and the pace of the game. You know, I think it was yes. You know, he's had some brilliant games, not least Ibrox last season when we won two one, where he just changed the game. Yeah, you know, he's got all those those like he has a you know as a player who doesn't you wouldn't expect to have big moments. He has a surprising number of big moments, including you know his his great goal at Aberdeen at Pataudry when we were looking. <laughs> We were just quite listless, but I think it's just the way I just love watching him play, and it's so important when you know I've been critical of the the centre back when when we're playing out, and I think it was a big problem in the first half yesterday when our playing out is just so slow and safe, and then he just receives the ball, 
turns and quickly makes a really nice pass through the lines and gets us going. It gets us an attacking, and it is he is you know irreplaceable. I think you know we talked about it to death, but I think just him and Hitate are our two best and most important players. And yesterday, it feels like every week they're they're alternating. <laughs> you know, like what one Hitate is the best player on the pitch. Yesterday it was McGregor's turn, but just the, the way he was always recovering. There are a number of times when. Dundee United broke through the midfield and you know because because our right flank isn't isn't the fastest you know that um yesterday apart from Amanda, the players on the right side weren't the fastest it really relied on McGregor tracking back and winning the ball back because they there was so much space otherwise for United it was just it was just a perfect McGregor performance even if he didn't score a screamer or make this you know this inch perfect pass he just everything he just He's just a brilliant player, and as Alan says, you just have to be grateful that he, he came through our youth system. And is, <laughs> you know, I, I do think there's a point. Tierney has obviously gone on to have was was brilliant with us. He's by some distance a record sale. He's done well in Arsenal, even if they're looking to sell him. You know, he's had a, he was a very good player for Arsenal before. It's just a systemic problem and his injuries and everything. But I do think you have to make a case that. Is is McGregor up there? Is McGregor as good or potentially even better than Tierney as a youth product this century? I think you, you could. I think there's definitely a case for it, at least. Um, I, I, I love, I love him to death. It's just this team without him. You know, it's functional, but it just doesn't feel. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel the same. And I do think it'll be quite interesting seeing him as if, as we surmise that. Um, Ange does want him to play him as an eight in Europe next season. I'm quite excited about what that what that looks like um, because you know he just he can play everywhere and his consistency is just ridiculous. Yeah, I think also as well, you know, he's ne- he's never he, he still has that kind of burst of pace just now. But I don't ever think he's really relied on it in the six. And oh, Alan disagrees, but I I, I think that as his gay as he gets older. And his game kind of changes. I think it's more about his ability, his intelligence, his football intelligence. Alan, um, you've written clear with that with that um, grin. You've written McGregor off. Uh, you think he should go? Never, um, never. No, I, I, it's more. I think. Well, you'd asked us pre-recording to pick one of your favourite moments, and I realise I've picked a moment that probably does rely heavily on his <laughs> all the physical attributes that um, I can firmly attest to um, dwindle with age. But um, he, you know, I think the one thing you would say about him is a clever enough player that he'll be able to adapt. Yeah. Um, like everybody's game changes. Let's be positive and not worry about three years down the line because we've got a good, you know, we've got plenty of time left at Callum McGregor at his best. Um, but because we are selfish, because of the principle that was laid down before him in terms of Scott Brown did play on, granted he probably played on maybe it's a year too long, but he was he was a great captain for, you know, for us. I think we're hopeful that Cal McGregor can do the same. Some players can do that, some players can't. The one thing is, he, he's a very intelligent, clever player and I, hopefully he will be able to adapt his game um, because... It would be great if we could get to that kind of six hundred plus appearances because um as a as a he's just a great player to watch. So I fuck it. It'll be as good as you like for the next ten years. The best is yet to come. <laughs> the best is yet to come. Um Ange Postacoglu on, on Callum McGregor, just talking about the game yesterday. He was brilliant. I just said to the guys in the room and a couple of the other media guys that we are all pretty pretty privileged to share a dressing room with him. 
The greatest compliment I can play him, pay him is that he plays every game as if it's his first. He plays every game as if he's got everything to prove, even though he's done it all. He trains every day like he's a new kid in the building. He's an outstanding individual and a credit to himself and his family. And because of the way he is, I know there's so much more to come. It was great that the lad could get the victory today for the service he has given the club already. Great stuff. And, you know, as we say, we're talking about him like he's 32, 33. He's not. Um, and it does feel like he is, though. Like, he's he's been around for so long and he's been part of the club for, for so long. And the best is yet to come. Uh, where the best is not yet to come is uh, James McCarthy, Oliver Abelgard, and uh, Yusuke Deguchi. Um Never right. Anyone, anyone off? <laughs> you've still got hope for You've still got hope for all three of them, Alan. Uh, League Cup final. Uh, we'll have uh, McCarthy in the six, Abelgard and the Gucci in the eight. Uh, no, I, I still fancy Dimitri Karin. He's still be our number one at some stage in the future. Um, midfield trio. Uh, Ange Postecoglou. He was asked about kind of obviously still. You know, we've still got a couple of days left of the window. Um, and they one of the someone asked him about those three players about them potentially moving on, and he said, "We'll see." I'm in dialogue with those guys. It's not about forcing people out, but there is a realism in terms of how much opportunity you get to play. If you mention those three, they're at an age where the less football they play, the fewer options they will have. They have to assess what's best for their careers. As I said, I'm in dialogue with them, and we will see what happens in the last days of the window. If nothing happens then they are still part of our group and we will work with them accordingly. Kieran, the kind of issue we have with those three players is they've really not played enough that prospective clubs will look at them and say, you can potentially come in and do a job. Their their profiles are very different. James McCarthy's obviously a lot older. Idiguchi's younger, but I mean, he, he hasn't played really any game time since he's been here consistently. And Abelgard very similar. What's your kind of thoughts on the three of them? Do you think all three of them will go, or is that unrealistic? I think I think it's unrealistic for this window. Um, I think with Abelgard, I wouldn't be surprised if we just terminated his loan because I guess, I guess that's the thing where it was a loan without the option to buy. Which I think at the time um, when we signed them, I would have been, we were just like, oh god, like you know, but this this would have been some coup to say I was one of them. Let's just think about it. I was absolutely this guy is the. Um, you know the the final piece of the jigsaw. It, he's going to be class in the Champions League. We're being unreal, and then we've seen about five minutes of him, and he can't pass a ball forward. Um, so I, I think it's, I think that one is a fairly simple solution. I think Edeguchi is actually okay as well, just because he has a reputation in Japan. He's, he he has a credibility in Japan still. So I do think it would be a case that we just sell him for maybe a couple hundred grand or something to a Japanese club. Um, where he, he sees out his career, you know, it, it it does seem to be a lot. Well, from when I was when I still had um, my old job, but you know, the the impression was it was like cultural and emotional issues um, as much as like injury ones that sort of held him back. I do think he just as what happened, but it was in England and Spain and, and Germany. Is there was a homesickness there? I think. Um, if fair played for two of them for trying again, but it's just it's not panned out. Um, I do think that's one where a deal could be, uh, again, just more an educated guess than anything else, that a deal could be fairly easily done where if he just goes back to one of the J1 League teams. Um, I think McCarthy is an interesting one because he has, hasn't really played any, well, much football for 18 months with his injury record, with his with his age. I, don't, I think 
I do wonder what the market would be for him. Um, you know, you, I do think there is a player, that, there's a type of player there that suits some teams. You know, somebody who does want like a very traditional defensive midfielder. I think that's the, the type of player um, a club. I can see a club like a lower half of the English Championship or something maybe taking a punt because he still has. He's, you know, he, he did well in the Premier League. He is a type of player that doesn't suit Ange Postecoglou Celtic, but other clubs down south probably would look at. You know, I think, but I think if we get one of them out the door by the end of this window, I'd be happy. I do think that trying to get all three would be would be difficult. I think it's one of those things where we are going to have to try and trim the squad a fair bit in the summer because we've also got you know Barkas and Ayeti coming back I think as well you know there are those loanees that we we just still have to make decisions on you know before well you know we've talked about how you know maybe want a number eight a new keeper a new this or that I do think <laughs> there's a lot of um Deadwood, Deadwood's a harsh word but there's a lot of stuff to be done in the in the summer as well for outgoings as well I mean you say Deadwood like Barkas has done well like what what I mean is guys like Barkas and Ayeti at least they are playing games you're not going to make your money back from them right but at least you could potentially get something from them uh mccarthy abelgard and adiguchi they're just not playing at all mm-hmm. alan yeah i'd be fine with barkas and a yeah not playing as well to be honest just the <laughs> thought of them coming back and doing pre-season here fills me with as soon as the names were mentioned i could just hear that simon and guff uncle song in my head the Hello, darkness, my old friend. That's <laughs> genuinely, those are the two names. I don't care how bad the deal is, just, just get rid of them um, because they bring back too many bad memories. Um, that's nothing against them personally, by the way. I mean, um, I mean no, I, not at all. <laughs> not at all, I. <laughs> I think with, you know, I'd, I'd maybe be ambitious and I'd, I'd want two of those three midfielders out the door. Um, I think James McCarthy could be a tricky one um, for the reasons Kieran said. Um, I think... And Adiguchi. I think the one thing I would like to see us do is be decisive again and accept that you're going to have to chalk these up as a loss. So when you sell a player for profit, it's great. You know, you do well, you're happy with it. Sometimes you've got to accept a loss and it's one of the ones you kind of have to write off. And I think um, with these ones, you know, Abel loan, you would be keen for us to kind of try and move it on because it doesn't benefit anyone having players at training that you really know aren't going to contribute in any kind of meaningful way to the first team. Um, and if you move two of them on, then one of them kind of knows that he fills that role if there's injuries, etc. But if you, you know, if the three of them are still here next week, then, you know, it, it can be a little bit tricky in terms of keeping them ticking over between now and the summer. So, yeah, I think it would be good for us to accept the loss and, you know, try and get these guys moves, especially Adiguchi and Abogar because they will have a value somewhere else. I think McCarthy because of the deal he signed and the amount of years left, I'm sure he would like to move, but it might be a little bit trickier there, um, just given his age as well. But that's, you know, that's just one of these things that happens. I get the impression McCarthy's came up here to kind of, like, coming home. Do you know what I mean? Like, he moves back up to Glasgow. Um, you know, he's, he's from here. His family are here and stuff. I, I reckon if, if he was to get a move, he would probably be potentially in the the Scottish Premiership, and and just that, obviously he's got two years left on our deal, so you know, unless Celtic come to some sort of arrangement with them, but like, yeah, I, and I, I think that's that's what it would have to be. I think, yeah, like I reckon he could he would he'd end up moving to a Hibs or a Aberdeen or someone like that, and I think he would. I do think he'd be a real asset for them, but you know, we'll see what happens. There, there is 
a couple of days left of the window and then obviously we'll be looking forward to the, the summer window as well. But there is a lot of players that for their own, as much as their own good as for us, they kind of lead to decisions need to be made, as Alan says. Um, a decision has been made on Stephen Welsh and he'll be staying with us, uh, according to Andrew Postacoglu. Um, he was asked about Stephen Welsh and the potential of a move and I think it was a loan move that people were talking about. There was speculation, uh, but he wasn't likely to leave. Uh, and then he talked about Maurice Jens. He says, I thought Maurice did really well for us. He hadn't played a lot over the second half of the year in France and we picked him up. Um, he, he's very ple- he's, he gives good compliments about about Welsh, but I thought he did well for us. But obviously, as the season went on, I was really keen to bring on uh, Kobayashi, who I'd been tracking as a left sided centre back. Once we got that deal done, it meant that there was going to be limited opportunities for someone like Morris, um, because he was on loan and we couldn't make a decision on whether we would trigger the clause to buy him. It made sense to have a discussion with him. He, we said that if another opportunity came up and w- w- was going to be good for his career, then he wouldn't stand in his way. I think he loved his time here. He contributed to our football and made some great experiences. Good for him. I, and I know I'm, he, he's a guy who I think uh, has attributes. We've talked about it before. He's got a lot of attributes and he's signed for Schalke, which is a, a really good club to sign for. So uh, he's back home in Germany as well. So ticks all the boxes for everyone. It, Stephen Welsh um, is someone we've talked about a lot. Uh, we all, we're not going to go over what we think about him in terms of how good he is, et cetera, et cetera, because we've all given those points. But, um, the opportunity again, you know, we talked about this on the weekly. Like the opportunity just to get in the squad is going to get harder and harder and harder. We've got a lot of players. Um, I feel. I mean, let's. I mean, I'm, I don't want to go over old ground, but like, look at the squad that we had yesterday on the bench. We had Bain, Haksabanovic, Turnbull, Kobayashi, O, Awata, O'Reilly, Maeda, and Forrest. Uh, there was no Stephen Welsh. There was no Jackamakis. There was no uh, Bernabe. Is Stephen Welsh going to get a lot of opportunities off the bench, Alan? Or even in the squad? Yeah, I mean, he's probably... I think if you're wanting starts, you're going to be... Presumably, it would be injury-related. Um, and obviously, maybe we don't want to see that. Um, but it, the the fact that Kobayashi was on the bench yesterday, I think, is a, is a significant indicator. Um, and you obviously wanted to get him game time. CCB had a slight knock, which meant he had to pick one, and he didn't go for Welsh. He went for Kobayashi. So I think it highlights that he's been impressed with what he's seen from um, Kobayashi since he came in. And yeah, I think quite. I don't think it's a difficult one. I think as soon as Jens Jens's loan was terminated, and I like how Ange put it that we couldn't make a decision on whether to activate that. No, you could. You just didn't want to say that the decision wasn't in uh, Jens's favour. But you know. Quite nice words, actually. Um, and he's absolutely spot on. He did contribute, you know, for us. Um, I, I do, I just think it's Welsh then at that point. It was clear that he wasn't going to be able to get a move this window. That may change in the summer. Um, I, I, I suppose a lot of it may hinge on the development or non-development potentially of Boston Laval, um, who, because you probably need a, a young you know, ideally Scottish developed or trained player um, in the squad, but you also need someone who's capable of contributing in the first team. And I think Laval and what the very limited glimpses we've seen him in the first team, it, it is quite a bit off it, but you would expect that because he's a young player. Um, so I think that will be interesting. I would imagine it will roll over at the summer for Stephen Welsh. If he's fourth choice, I don't think he would want to hang about. I've said before, 
he's had a taste of what it's like to be a starter in this team. He's um, he's got medals that he has certainly earned, and um, he's contributed well to the success of this team. When you take a step back and you find yourself further down the pecking order, you then you've had a taste of it. Your boyhood club, you want to go and play football, um, and there's a value there as well. Um, he's a player who will have suitors, um, so I would imagine. Unless there's a significant change in that pecking order, which is unlikely, then Stephen Welsh will roll over at the summer. But then it does leave us with an issue that you would either have to recruit or put your faith in a, a you know, Boston Lowell. And um, I did find it interesting that Lowell got his first competitive appearance um, against Morton. Granted, it was in, you know, garbage time, if you like, but, but it's it's still an indicator. So. Um, that'll be one that I think we'll definitely be talking about in the in the bar in summer months. Uh, yeah, I just I just I mean, I worry that he's not going to make squads, and that you know, you know, ah, what are you can do. We'll, we'll, we'll pick it up and we'll talk about it. Anyway, uh, I wanted to pick up on a talking point. Um, this was sent to us by Peter Hendry. It was a kind of quote from from Ange Postecoglou. Um, he was quoted as saying. Talking about Callum McGregor, it gives us more options. A Callum McGregor and a Wata. It gives us more options, and we can change things around a bit. We can even change the formation at times, not necessarily short term, but over the long term. We want to be able to do that. Obviously, Callum has been outstanding, and he is outstanding wherever you play him. We had a period where he was out, and we put Matt O'Reilly back there. Matt did a great job for us, but we didn't have an obvious guy who could come in and play that role. Tomoki is a different type of number six. And I think he and Cal could play together. That's something we will look at. The key thing is it gives us more options and flexibility around the way we can set up the team. The beauty of having someone like Callum is that whenever you put him, you don't lose any effectiveness. Um, I got a message, a question from uh, Connor today, Connor in Edinburgh. Um, Hi folks, Ange talked last week about the possibility of employing a double pivot with McGregor and Awata. I'm interested to know what the panel's thoughts are on this and how we might sit up ahead of the pivot. I assume he would place someone in the 10 role, and he puts Haksabanovich question mark uh, in brackets, but now with a seemingly more dynamic second striker outside the box anyway, is there a possibility of us going two up top? Cheers, Connor. Um, it does kind of provide lots of different options, lots of kind of thoughts. Kieran, I'll bring you in. Um, double pivot, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, th- I think it is quite interesting. I think a double pivot with McGregor and Awata would make sense. Um, you know, if if Awata, he does, you, you know, we've seen half an hour, well, a ha- yeah, a half of him, and you know, I liked what I saw as as you guys did, but it's it's very limited. We can only infer what we ha- we can. Um, but he does seem to maybe, you know, to be more of. Uh, you know, a Scott Brown type, somebody who's just very really quick off the mark. You know, the number of times where he just like so so sharp and just winning the ball back and then making, you know, assured passes. But generally, you know, there are a couple of ambitious passes, but generally he's not he's not Hitati, he's not constantly looking to try and find the ball in behind. And if McGregor's gonna be somebody who can be that distributor, it makes sense to have that in Europe. Both of them look comfortable in the ball, but both of them look oh, you know good at advancing it but then you have a water who does you know <laughs> we mentioned it to, to death that there's the one of the white whales of this team is we want 
that guy who can do the defensive stuff, but also do it with McGregor. We're not going to discuss it again because we all know the exact type of player that we want there. Awata's hopefully that. It does, yeah, I think that that would make sense in Europe. Um, and then ahead of that, I mean, for me, it's a Tati you'd have in the number 10 because it's a Tati. Um, but, and then I think the, the front three is just all your different options there. I do think it'd be interesting if you haven't, you know, a back a back three. I think that would it would be quite interesting. I do think it's possibility that you know the type of pl- profile O is whether you could have him and Kyogo as a as a partnership in the front two. Um, I think that would be quite interesting. Um, you know, I think it's something we tried very occasionally with with Gigi and Kyogo, and it just didn't work because. <laughs> The types of players they are, you know, they're both poachers. You don't really have somebody there who can do, you know, Kyogo can drop drop deep at times and do a link-up play, but he doesn't have the physicality that that Gigi has and Gigi can't do link-up play. So I think it was just about, yeah, I think it's that getting to that stage of what what Ange wants. Um, I, I would be curious about what the back three would look like, whether, I, I don't I, I Keen to get your guys' thoughts. Do you think it would simply be CCV, Starfelt, and Kobayashi? Because I think it's potential that he might play Johnston as the right side of centre back, and maybe have one of the wingers as the um, wing back. as the the right wing back. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of different options now because the squad is quite. I don't think there's anyone that screams natural wing back in that system because I do. I do. I think Johnston. I think he has he has some really good qualities, but he has some limitations as well. That I don't think maybe would lend itself to being a wing back and an and and style of play. And Taylor, he is at his best as being that inverted fullback. I don't think he would be a natural wing back either. Um, so I think I think it would be quite interesting whether to see whether we just we would just go Johnston and Taylor, or where you know we drop Maeda or Hagsabanovich or one one of the the wingers into the wing back system. It's, it's it's quite exciting we can have these conversations now because the squad depth is so rich now. Yeah, just on the, the back three, I think Kobayashi on the left, Starfield on the right with CCV is the third. I I think that sounds great. Whether he's going to do it, whether it's practical and all that, just from a purely aesthetic point of view of getting those three players in and those three players being in a natural position, I think, is something that I, I find quite appealing. Alan, in regard to the idea of... Well, f- firstly, Alan, are you surprised that Ange is kind of talking this way? Because he's been very rigid in how he talks about his system. He's talked about how the thing that... The flexibility comes from different players in the formation that he has. He always talks about how different players bring different qualities, but ultimately we play very similar with that 4-3-3. The fact that he's kind of mentioned a potential long-term change of formation, is that does that surprise you? And then you can talk about the double pivot and stuff. Um, I suppose it is surprising because we haven't really seen any tendency to change it. And I think, as Kieran mentioned earlier, our discussions have largely been about maybe shuffling the six and putting McGregor up, which um, still pro- presumably is an option. It is exciting, though. I'll say that much. Oh, I do. I... A formation change is always um, dramatic because it feels like everything that we've done to this point, we'll just stick that, chuck that in the bin <laughs> and we'll just move forward with a new exciting system that will bring its own challenges. And, um, you know, I, I think if you're looking at it, I think the the three two four one is something I think he employed when he was Australia manager. Um, so 
obviously has used it before, he will be familiar with it. It's then about maybe communicating that to the players. And um, I, th- I think we do have we have enough in the squad now that you would be able to do that. I think it would be interesting to see how aggressive that he is with it. And I think Kieran's probably right with the who would play the wide positions. Is it wing-backs or do you go very, very aggressive um, and ask your two pivots to really cover a lot of ground because then that maybe opens up the playbook a little bit to allow you to use your natural wingers at the moment as wingers with added defensive responsibilities. And I think the one thing that makes me think about that is that actually the wingers have a lot to do defensively at the moment and their workload is significant. Um, Some of them do it better than others, but there is the expectation there that you will work both sides of the ball um, so if we did go three, two, four, one, there is the potential that you could be very, very aggressive with it, um, and it would be it would be entertaining to watch. Um, I do think there is the potential that I think if you're going to back three, I don't think Ange would go with. I think in the short term, it would maybe go CCB, Starfield, and Kobayashi. I think he would. I think he would want a more natural ball playing player in there because you are then doubling down on that being the most important thing to bring the ball out. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying uh, who that would be that would maybe lose out, but I, th- I think the idea of maybe having a kind of... Johnston is probably the natural fit because he has got the physicality. He's a, genuinely a, quite a sturdy defender and he's decent on the ball. So I think there is the potential that you could use him as a kind of right-sided and then, you know, a, a more kind of central pillar. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I get the impression it's a, it's a, a seed of an idea at the moment and that you might see it a little bit more next year. And I feel like there's still probably another window of recruitment and moving on required before he does commit to it. Because I think some of those questions about maybe the white players, I think, you know, for example, I, I don't know where Greg Taylor would would fit in a system like that um, because he's at his best, as Ken says, when he is playing in field and he's picking passes. That wouldn't necessarily be the case if he was playing as a wing-back. You would be the more traditional up-and-down type fullback, you know, um, the more kind of swashbuckling type that we've had over the years. And I don't think that's his strength. So I think that you would need another window to fine-tune it, especially for, you know, those kind of European games. But I'm all in. I, I say stick everything in the bin and go for it. <laughs> we're bored. We're bored of the, the inverted fullbacks now. We, we demand more. Um, I, I just think the idea of, you know, uh, having the double pivot and given someone like, and I know Kira mentioned obviously Hitati, and I think Hitati could easily play the number 10 role. I think he actually could probably play any <laughs> position on the pitch. But just given Haksabanovic that sort of freedom, uh, there are players that we do have players in our squad that really could play the 10 in a very dynamic, interesting sort of way and bring a completely different focus to, to the team. And I, I, I would like to see that. And that's not even necessarily changing the system that much, Kieran. Let me, let me, uh, here we go. I know what he's going to say here. I know what he's going to say. I'm going to write it down. Okay, so Alan, write, write it, right. it down. And, uh, right, I wrote it down. Okay, put it up, Don't to, worry it. Put it up to your camera. All right, Keaton, you say it first. All right. Oh, no, no, I wasn't. I was going to oh, say, damn no. it. I was, was going to say, uh, back three with two number tens, three, four, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Hatate and Haxabanovich, or Hatate and Jota. <laughs> Or is it, you know, is that, is that is that exciting or no? <laughs> Jesus, my mind has just been blown. Uh, Alan, ha- Alan had written down Rogic. Um, yeah. Get Aaron Moy out and bring back Tom Rogic <laughs> now that we play with natural number 10. So that's all I'm interested in. Now that we play uh, That would have been a great moment there if we could have just, but we were in a completely different wavelength. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it is, 
I was thinking about this uh, when I saw this quote last night. I was just having a thinking. You know, when Martin O'Neill first came into uh, Celtic and we played three five two, and it was very that was his formation, and he built his team. Then we got really. I think it was after the Porto game when we absolutely scudded. There was a clearly a change of thinking, um, and in the next season we went at the back or the season after that sorry it would have been the season after that but he, he, he went from 3-5-2 to, to basically 4-4-2 and it completely changed how we played and that was a guy who again very similar to Ange Postacoglu who had a very specific style of play he very wanted uh, you know specifics within how the, the movement within the players and all that sort of stuff and he changed it and the point is, there's, there's, there is an idea that Ange Postecoglou plays this way, and that's that's all he does, and that's his system, and that's not giving the man enough credit, I don't think. So the idea that he would change, I don't think, is that much out of the realms of possibility. Do you think, Alan, that him talking about this just now, and do you think maybe the Champions League has maybe changed this kind of way of thinking regarding us moving forward, if he looks at next season, he thinks, okay, we did okay, but we need to do better. And by doing that, it might mean we have to revert to different kind of tactics, essentially. Well, I do hope so, um, because it was it was a bit of a tough watch at times in the Champions League. I know it was, at times, we were able to compete for brief periods, but it just looked like it was either technically or physically. At different points, we were always short. Um, so I do think you have to try and use every kind of tool in your armory to to try and match these teams, and there is the potential that it could give you some more security. Um, I think having two sixes in there, I think would potentially help with the inevitable turning over of the ball, which really killed us at times in the Champions League this year. So um, you know that's plenty. It does come with its flaws as well, um, and I do at times think if you're either one of those back three on the left or the right, there's, it looks like there's a lot of space in front of you and it can be quite daunting. But, you know, you train in the system, you work with it, you play bounce games, you practice with it and you try and get comfortable. Um, I think it would be an adjustment. And as I say, I do think that there would be another window of manoeuvring required. But um, I would think that, because domestically we're, we're handling it fine and I know we're going to talk about yesterday. It felt like yesterday... There was a bit of a shift, and I'll, I'll talk about it a bit more when we come on to it, but I think any changes you make are surely with a view to the big stage. I mean, with the greatest of respect that it is, and Ange is very, very respectful of what he says, He is he's not changing his system to try and overcome Livingston at home. And I know that's who I've got on Wednesday, but good results, bad results. He's not changing his philosophy or his approach to try and get a 4 nothing instead of a 3 nothing at home. He's changing it with a view to the, the team being more competitive on the bigger stage. Um, so I, I absolutely agree. Kieran, your kind of brief thoughts on that big change for the Champions League potentially? Yeah, 100%. I, I think... I think it's 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 spot on that he's trying these things. I think we identified them afterwards that the gaps in midfield, that playing out from the back, those were our two biggest flaws. Uh, apart from you know not putting our chances away, <laughs> I think those were the three things we could say we weren't efficient enough. We left far too many gaps in midfield and weren't tracking runners, and our playing out was cataclysmic. Um, so I, I I think part of that is. Is doing the you know I think I feel the this tweak to a, a, a pivot whether it is at four back and the feedback that's trying to address the the gaps in midfield 
and trying to aggress maybe better control of the ball. That's that's one area addressed. And it's, it's taking them on individually, the problems individually, and trying to address them while trying to prevent or ease the creation of new ones. And you know, I think where you're thinking, well, hopefully, if we, you know, it, with signing O, it's unlikely that in the summer we're going to s- spend eight million pounds on a 26 year old striker who scores bags of golds in competitive leagues. So you are relying either on him hitting the ground running and being spectacular or Kyogo finding good form again, which is entirely possible. You know, he, is, he is a confidence player. He was in a bad run of confidence for those games. I'd, he does have the quality to score three or four goals in the Champions League group stage. And then and then the playing out from the back, Kobayashi, I think is a positive sign. We'll come into the game um, from yesterday, as Alan says, but I think he really does look somebody who's both um, technically good on the ball, but the thing I was really impressed by, again, it's only two games, like Iwata, it's very limited, so we can only, but we can only fit what we've seen. I really like how quickly he moves the ball on. I think he's somebody who can, it's too early to say whether he is the definitive ball playing centre-back that we've wanted for so long, but the early signs are, are encouraging. And then, but it was also about player, you know, the player recruitment, as Alan's saying, isn't done yet. It, we do need a new keeper in the summer. We do need for a variety of reasons, not just for somebody who's comfortable at the ball with the feet, but for who can make big saves and who can click crosses. That we do need a, an upgraded keeper. I do think you know it's one thing to make all these tactical adjustments, but I do think we'd still need one, two, three key signings in the spine of the team to help us get that level. Because we, you know, I, I think maybe it's forgotten a little bit, uh, but after that thumping off Real Madrid in the final game. We, you know, I think the the briefing that we agreed on, if not anything else, is that the the, the draft of a team who can succeed is there. You know, the the system was effective, but the play the player quality let them down in a couple of key areas and a key times of the game. So it's one thing to fix things tactically; it's another thing to bring in the players we need. Otherwise, I do think if we don't recruit in important areas, I do think it could fall apart again, fundamentally. Um, <clears throat> let's move on to yesterday's game. Uh, Dundee United nil, Celtic 2. Uh, Jota with the uh, two second half goals. Uh, Jota with the, the header after a <laughs> amazing cross from Aaron Moy. And uh, Aaron Moy scored the penalty. It's, Alan, it's great to have a penalty taker um, who's consistently taking penalties all the time, isn't it? Penalties. <laughs> yep. Um, and I'm glad he stepped up yesterday and took it's the penalty, good, otherwise he just slaughtered me. It's good that he took the penalty, isn't it, Alan? Yeah, I think he's a definite penalty taker now. Can that's cons- been cemented. Yeah, he's definitely the penalty taker. Uh, what did you... Alan, you wanted you, had, you you were talking briefly about some points that you wanted to bring him up. Bring him up now, let's go. Let's talk uh, Dundee United and Celtic. Yeah, I, I think... Um, I think we played within ourselves yesterday, largely. Um, maybe some flashes of brilliance. Jota was, um, he was peacocking at times, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, but I don't think it was a vintage performance, but a, a very, very important victory. Yesterday felt like the kind of win, entirely routine, very comfortable, and very much on the counting down the games now. That's the first time I've felt like you're starting to look at how many games are left. And I think Angie kind of alluded to it in kind of some form in his post-match interview talking about the amount of points that are left on the table, being very um, careful with his words, which is important when you're a manager of a big team. 
Um, so it, it did feel like yesterday it was very much starting to count down. You're starting to get quite close now and you have a commanding lead. It's still, you know, it's still very much in a title race. But when you can play like that, now Dundee United aren't in great shape at the moment compared to the kind of previous years. But when you can go like that and win so comfortably, um, I think it does highlight that this team are, even when they play within themselves, are capable really of competing with pretty much any team at any venue. Um, and I think you've seen that this year in games where we maybe haven't played particularly well, we're still able to dig out big results. Winning 2-0 away, Dundee United isn't one that you're going to mark down in your calendar as a classic. And yesterday I don't think was a classic to watch. But even when we play within ourselves, I think we are capable of comfortably winning games. And yesterday felt like it. More and more, and I think they maybe mentioned that after, I can't remember which game it was, it might have been St Mirren. Teams were always sitting against Celtic and to an extent Rangers as well and try and kind of dig something out. I've never seen teams approach games against Celtic like this in any era of Celtic, even in Brendan Rodgers, even in the height of Martin O'Neill. Teams are happy not to take an absolute shellacking. Um, that's their decision to make it's easy for us to probably sit and criticise and say why would you not have a go especially yesterday it's a good example they get cuffed 9 nothing early in the season and manager lost his job because they weren't organised So, but genuinely week on week now teams really are very very fearful um, and sometimes it can make it a bit of a dull watch but I think it just highlights the respect with which other teams and other coaches are approaching Celtic at the moment and the level that we are capable of performing to in a very, very short period of time. So it just felt like that kind of jumped out yesterday quite a lot from the game. Maybe one of the takeaways is that teams are very, very respectful of both the system and the quality of personnel we've got. And that's, you know, that is a real credit. You know, we ran through the bench earlier. You look at that team yesterday, some of the players starting. The, the quality is there. Uh, this is a really exciting unit um, and uh, with a really good system to boot. Um, 50th win in 61 Premiership games, uh, 19th game unbeaten um, since uh, September uh, when we uh, lost to St Mirren. Kieran, uh, your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I agree with Alan. It wasn't it wasn't great. It was just quite slow. Um, I just, I, bet I mentioned it earlier, I did think I know he's only played two games, so it sounds r- ridiculous. But I did think we missed Kobayashi a bit, <laughs> as daft as that sounds, because he did. He he immediately just sets the tone by moving the ball on quickly. And when McGregor isn't able to, you know, when McGregor's been double marked as he has been in recent weeks and months, um, you don't really have somebody who's doing that. Um, Star, we've talked about it to death. Starfelt and CCV for the other qualities. They're, they're not guys who move the ball on quickly and ambitiously. Um, so I, I think it was just a bit from back to middle, it's quite staid. In the final third, I thought there was, you know, Hitati and Jota were, were doing, there were some nice some nice movements, some nice passes, but I just wasn't quite, wasn't quite clicking. And I, I do think just getting that, you know, that double, the goal, both goals coming in the front, in space of four minutes was really good because it just you just knew we were, we were going to see it out. Like there was you know United had some possession in the last ten minutes or so, but there was just they had no yeah. As Alice said, like it, there was no real urgency or intent to try and get something from the game. Um, it's, it's that we're that intimidating now that just they they really they're just they're just quite comfortable with not getting hammered. Um, you know which is which is good and bad I guess for the league, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, it was. I think there was a couple of really. McGregor was outstanding. 
Like he really was so, so good yesterday. It was Jota's best performance since the World Cup. Um and I think his the angle for is a the angle for his head is ridiculous. I know it was quite close to the goal, but just the way he manages to steer the ball in, it's really impressive. Like it's really, really, a really, really nice finish. Um it was it was good to see. Oh, I think there was there was a couple of like positive points, and I think maybe in when on Wednesday um, we might see some more rotation. Maybe Awata might get a start. Maybe Kobayashi can will come back in. I think it could could be too early for a start for O, but if that happens, I'd be obviously that's going to be incredibly exciting. So I think I think it's one of the you know I think I'm quite excited about Wednesday. See maybe people. We're at the stage now where our squad is so strong. And if you're look, thinking about it strategically, Awata is replacing McCarthy, Kobayashi is play, replacing Jens. Um, you know, I think Owen, Owen, um, Johnston replacing JJ and Gigi is maybe a bit different because those were guys who were first team regulars. But having the strength and depth, you know, with Kobayashi and, and Awata coming in now, it gives you maybe more security in rotating. Um, that we didn't have earlier in the season. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I think it's it's one of those ones where we, you take the win and then you forget about it in six weeks, eight weeks. And as Alan's saying, I'm, I'm the same. I'm just like, what, fifteen games left, nine, nine point lead. Let's just get through. If we can thump teams four or five now, six now, delightful. But we get the three points and we move on. And I do think per- personally, even even in Angie's comments, you can see like. We do have one eye on the Champions League next season now. Like, like even if, maybe half an eye, if because there is still a lot of football left to be played. But I think personally, and it seems like Anja's as well. I'm thinking about what sort of team, what sort of lineup, what sort of strategy we have for Europe next season. Because I hate getting knocked out before Christmas, and it just leaves like this gulf that has you pondering. And even though it's not. Isn't still eight or nine months away. I'm still I'm really excited about what changes we've made and what we can potentially do uh, when we're uh, you know in full flow. Um, we had the reaction yesterday. We covered um, all the kind of main action points from the game. Uh, we talked about the VAR stuff. Uh, we talked about the penalty stuff. I don't think we have to go over it again. I think we're all kind of uh... well, Alan. You want to bring something, something, Alan? I will never miss an opportunity to have a good morning on a Monday morning. Um, but I, I don't know what people's thoughts on the penalty were. Um, what, if you don't think it was a penalty, that's fair enough. That's fine. Um, I think if you base the kind of decisions that we generally get, that's not one we would generally get a penalty for. The one thing I would ask is that people try and remember context a little bit. And I think that is genuinely one of the big things that from yesterday... Um, the VAR decisions, when you view them in context, it is getting to the stage now where all I want is for either Celtic to get a kind of bad decision in a game that matters, which is fine. And if you want to chalk the queue up, um, potential penalty up as one, then fine. But when you view them in context to how the other games other games are being refereed in the league, yeah. it is, look, there is a huge disparity in, I think, what we're seeing. And I, I just... A little bit frustrated sometimes when we're too quick sometimes to scream that oh, it's definitely not a penalty and VAR has worked well on this occasion. If it works well across the league, fine. But if it doesn't, then I think you're, you're quite right to be frustrated that the increasing disparity in how games are being refereed and being re-refereed 
Um, we are really, really using VR very badly up here. And I think a, a more back to basics approach for VR would be very helpful, as in go back to the letter of the law, which is to correct clear and obvious errors. Um, and if it's if it's not doing that, which I don't think it is, then I think you have every right to be continually frustrated. Um, and yesterday, one of the really annoying things, again yesterday, Celtic are starting to turn the screw in the game. And we have about a four to five minute stoppage yeah. right before half time, which we don't get a penalty for. If you, you know, that's fine. I, I thought it was a, a decent shout for a penalty. I think it's clumsy, really clumsy, but I wouldn't normally expect to get it. But the four, four to five minute stoppage to make a decision on it really doesn't help. Um, so it, it's just frustrating. It's another example where VR actually works against us. See if the ref just hadn't given it in the first place. We could have probably moved on within 30, 45 seconds because they would have checked and said nothing clear and obvious. But we get the big stoppage and then it gets overturned half time. And it just, it feels like as a fan, you're getting less and less football for your money, to be honest with VR. And it's, it really, is increasingly frustrated, and that's before you start considering other decisions across the league on the day before, which continued a, a familiar trend. I mean, that is the point. Whether it's a, whether you think it's a penalty or not isn't the issue. If you look at the the penalty that Rangers got against St. Johnson, um, and you compare it and contrast it, maybe they're both not penalties. But I tell you what, one is, and you know, there's there's a case for one definitely being one and definitely not be like. The point is, it's. Yeah, it's not context is very good. I think yeah, you you brought that up. Lorenzo's brought it up a number of times. The context of the whole thing, of the whole slate of games and what's been given and what's not been given in other other games is exactly the right point. Lack of consistency and pain in the ass. Um, we get a question from Andrew, Mister Andrew Connor. A point about AJ. While he seems fairly solid defensively, he overall appears to be a, a little bit more, more one dimensional attacking wise. Doesn't seem great at carrying the ball. Is this a concern moving forward? And should we possibly be looking at having AJ as the backup and bringing a more suited right back in the summer while move, potentially moving Ralston on? I think AJ has played as centre-half before as well, so he offers cover in a number of positions. Um, just to counter that, we got a question from, a point from from Paul Gibson. I thought AJ and his growing improvement as an attacking threat twice yesterday, his balls... Uh, between the fullback and centre half, found an attacker and led to shots on target. Thanks in advance. So two contrasting kind of points of view. Both players, uh, both kind of comments are given props to his defensive. But what's your what's your take here? I think I think he's Ralston plus. If that makes sense, and not the first. I think Christian made that observation first, so I'm just copying Christian's homework. But like he is like a better version of Ralston in that like defensively solid. Um, he, he is quite good at those balls in behind um, when he's got time on the ball and I think he's quite good uh, overlapping his, cr- his, his crossing hasn't been great so far but I think he's, he's generally quite good at getting beyond the winger and trying getting into crossing positions I think he has for me personally has the, he isn't inverting and I think when he does invert he doesn't look comfortable I don't think he I don't think he's comfortable receiving the ball with his first touch and in the same way He's not like Juranovic where he's effectively a, a playmaker in, in field where he can take take the ball, open up his body and very quickly move the ball in field, th- break, line, break lines in that sense. I think he is, I think he is like Ralston, he's maybe someone who's just, he is more comfortable as an overlapping fullback. I think, I don't think 
so far we've seen much evidence that he suits the system. I think he's got, as I say, he's got good qualities as a traditional fullback, and I think that that's useful. But I, it doesn't scream an Ange fullback in that sense. Um, and that, I, you know, it, it's kind of a funny one. Like I, brought for three million, and I think letting Juranovic go, I'd assume he is supposed to be our first choice right back for potentially well for next season I'd be surprised if we recruited a right back in the summer whether I'd want us to go into that or not I'd, is, a, is a different story I just I just think it's a bit of a he's, he's good qualities as a likeable guy I just think it's a bit of a strange signing because he is so he like, he's the opposite of an Ange fullback <laughs> in a lot of ways Um, it's a, it's a funny one and I'm like Potentially, he'll adapt over time. I didn't think yesterday was the strongest game on the ball, um, and he isn't moving into inverted positions. I, d- I don't know whether that's just his subconscious keeping him um, out wide, or whether Anne just told him until you adapt better to the system, just retain your width. But I, I'm not. I'm not sure. Or whether we 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 you know they don't have faith in him to to be that inverting fullback and just rely on the left back doing it. I'm not, I'm not sure, but um, it's is a fun one. It's, it's, um, he has a lot of good qualities, and including on the defensive side, and I'm sure he's going to contribute. But if you're, I just feel like at the Champions League level, I think you do need all of your players in full flow. And who knows, he might adapt and be class at it by then. Uh, I don't know what again, <laughs> not writing him off or anything. But I, I, I think there's a lot of room for improvement in the inverted side of the game and how being that you know secondary playmaker to one of the number sixes that I think he has to work on a lot before I feel comfortable saying this guy I'm comfortable with this guy being my right back in the Champions League I think a guy like uh, Johnson's get a lot of kind of uh, work to do even no matter what level he's at because he's got to come in he's got to replace Juranovic who's been one of our best fullbacks for for probably in contemporary times Um he also hasn't played the role, so he's got a lot of work to do. Um, Alan, what's your kind of thoughts? Yeah, but the Gray's got a lot of work to do. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, I think that was always going to be the case yeah. as well because of you know the, the standard that he's came from. And I think he's shown a lot of the things that he's shown are things that are very, very important playing in, at, at that level. Um, physicality is primary, and he's got a number of physical advantages over um, Djuranovic before him. Um, you know, he's a bit... You know, he's certainly got a bit more height. Um, he's a little bit stronger defensively, um, and he looks like he's quite similar in those one-on-ones. Does have a tendency to dive in a little bit, which I think you need to kind of um, tidy up before the Champions League. But I, I would say I'm a bit more, I'm a bit more enthusiastic about him longer term. Um, I don't think he had a great game yesterday. Um, I thought he was wasteful. I thought both fullbacks were quite wasteful yesterday, especially in the first half. Although, in fairness, Taylor. Um, was just back from an injury and um, he was far better than Bernabe was in his kind of appearances as well. But I, I think I'm, I think what five six games in with Johnston now, I think there's there's enough there. I think he is. Uh, I think he's certainly an improvement um, on. I think he's a better player than Ralston, and I can see in a lot of the ways those similarities. But I think it's a little bit early to to pigeonhole him a little bit as a player that might be that kind of limited way. Um, I think there's a lot there. And I think especially when you look at the way he played, you know, in, in his games in the World Cup, I did watch all of Canada's games. I think you did see there, there is a player who has the ability to step step in with the ball. Granted, it is much more as a traditional fullback and he likes to 
drive up the line as opposed to drive inside, which are two very, very different things. Um, one whole half of your vision can be closed off because you're not going to get um, pressed from you know your, your blind side. Whereas in the middle of the park, that is the case. And that's why centre midfielders are the best players in any team because they have to have a 360 degree of the pitch. But I think there's enough there for me to say that I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be rushing into the market to to buy a first choice right back. Um, I, I'm quite pleased with the signing. And I think for that money, you know, we probably spent some on Burnaby and he's quite a bit off that level yet. So, you know, I think I, th- I think it looks good business early doors, whether he's as good as Juranovic is very debatable because that was a that was an outrageous piece of business for us certainly coming in and playing at that level for a year and a half but you know I'd, I'd certainly buy him time and I think the one thing that the inverted role shows is that it does take time to get up to that level um, you know there was a lot of discourse about Taylor um, I, I thought he would struggle um, but he's actually turned out to be exceptional and I chalk that up as a loss in my opinion but it took him a long time to get to the standard he's playing at now um, and I think you could maybe try and afford similar time to to Johnston to, to get to you know his level on the right hand side as well because it is very, very difficult to do and it's not something people would have grown up doing playing that inverted role. That is very, very difficult as a fullback. So yeah, I'm much more I would say I'm much more optimistic um on, on his future. And he does have a he's got a good bedding in period of six about five, six months before those European games. Yeah, cool. Um, great stuff. Um, as I say, we've got a reaction from the Dundee United game. It is in your feed currently. It's on the website and it's in the app. Uh, Christian and Graham will be looking over the game uh, on the review, which will be dropping tomorrow as well. Um, but let's now go to the Colt Report. It was another busy week for Celtic Peak face Lone League and Premier League International Cup action once again. Following last week's success against Wolves at Trinity Juniors, the boys took on more tough competition in Leicester City in Eastwood Parade. It started down south for the youngsters last week as they aimed to build upon the first three points in the prestigious competition at Leicester's training ground. With the placement in knockout stages up for grabs, getting a result in their third group game was going to be important, and it started off brilliantly for Celtic as they took the lead just after the half-hour mark to Senegal Let Souza. Following a nice switch of play and some good work down the left-hand side, the midfield was in the right place at the right time to finish off the move inside the penalty area. Both sides had their chances and what proved to be a very open game. However, heading into the second half, it was Celtic who were the happier of the two sides as the Hoops doubled their lead. Once again, it was that man, Lake Sosa, who scored his in Celtic's second of the game early in the second half, following a solid finish which found the bottom corner. Although it may have looked like Celtic were on their way to another victory, the home side quickly got themselves back in the game as Paul Appiah cut the out deficit to one goal. Dara Dane Stewart managed the side looked hoped on for all three points. However, unfortunately it wasn't to be, as Keane Pennett scored a 91st minute equaliser to rescue a point for Leicester. There's still an opportunity for Celtic to advance in this competition, but they'll need to take care of Blackburn Rovers on the road this Wednesday. Before getting to that fixture, the boys returned to lowly action as they took on an experienced side at East Kilbride. It was about to be another good test for the young Celts, who made the short trip to Key Park for their away fixture. Unfortunately, it didn't get off to the best of starts this time, as EK took an early lead after just 12 minutes. New signing Kyle Connell, who had just recently been released by Kilmarnock, latched forward to flick on before smashing the ball into the bottom corner. However, this goalkeeper sparked Celtic into action in the first half and it didn't take long for Joey Dawson to make his mark and level up at 1-1. Nepersman scored his ninth goal in his last six league outings to get Celtic back on the level term. That is a good strike which took a slight nick of the defender. Once again, looking like it may head into halftime at 1-1 for a strong Celtic spell. Kyle Connell was on hand again, put his side in front with a delightful chipped effort over Josh Clark. Celtic went into the second half, knowing they needed to get back into the game again, and they finally did so, with around 25 minutes left to play. 
Ben Simmons was the man in the score sheet this time, as the midfielder stayed composed, taking the ball round his marker before slotting a ninth shoot into the back of the net. The game became end to end in the closing stages as both teams pushed for a point at the top of the lower league. However, the week would ultimately end in another 2 2 draw from the Ulster, this time at Cape Park. As mentioned, the next fixture comes this midweek in the final group stage game of the Premier League International Cup against Blackburn Rovers. Then there's a week's break in the schedule before the boys are back in league action as they take on the University of Stirling the following Wednesday. Great stuff from Lewis Laird as always. You can check him out on Twitter, Lewis Laird 01. Um, covering the Colt team, the Beal team, and the lone players. Lovely stuff. Um, Celtic FC women, they defeated Hearts 2-1 in Edinburgh yesterday. They are now second, three points behind Glasgow City and four ahead of Rangers, though Rangers have a game in hand. Uh, that will all be covered on the Celtic Women's Football Show, which drops on Wednesday. Let me run through what we've got coming up this week. Uh, this is the agenda, which drops every Monday. Tuesday, we've got the review. Christian and Graham uh, going over the games at the weekend and just reviewing the week overall. Wednesday, we've got the Celtic Women's Football Show. Thursday, we've got the Cynic Weekly, as always. Friday, we'll have the weekend update. On Saturday, we've got uh, a return of Peak Football which will be dropping on Saturday. Um, obviously, that'll be Graham and uh, our good friend John Murphy doing the voices there. Um, and Sunday, we'll have the reaction to the St. Johnston game, which kicks off at 12 o'clock. We'll also have a reaction. I've missed it out on the rundown. We'll have a reaction uh, to the game on Wednesday. So, more bang for your buck. So much bang for your buck that even I forgot we've got a reaction on Wednesday. Um, so, check it out. Um yeah, just finishing up uh, this uh, this week's agenda. Hibs six Aberdeen nil. I don't know if you did. You, did you see the highlights or, or anything of that game? I, I watched that on on Saturday afternoon. And um, Jesus, Jim Goodwin, God love him. Um, thoughts on any of the results? Uh, this week? I, I really like Jim Goodwin as well. I feel rotten for him. Yeah, me I too. think he'll yeah. be a top manager one day. I think he will lead Manchester United to European Cup glory in many years. I don't know why I'm basing that on. I just quite like him. I, I think he's a decent coach and I think he's been hung out to drive his players. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Both Scottish and foreign players, I should point out as well. Oh, Jesus. He's been hung out to drive away. Bye. I, I didn't... Alan, you, you listen to Sports Sound most weeks. Did, or... I love getting my heart rate up. I love getting my heart rate up and Sports Sound is the ideal ticket. Uh, how bad was that rant from Willie Miller? Was it a bad one? I've not listened to it. Um, that was on Sunday Sports Sound, which I didn't listen to, um, I believe. So... I've just seen the quote, so I don't want to. Um, it didn't. It didn't read well from the reaction I seen online, but I haven't listened to it directly, so I don't want to dive in. But yeah, that, that didn't sound good because some of the Scottish players, English players in that team are are hopeless as well. That, that they are barren of talent, Aberdeen, and I think we know that fine well. So um, yeah, it's, it's a tough gig for Jim Goodwin, but when you go three 0 down within like fifteen twenty minutes against an equally poor side, then it's only going to end up one way. I mean, see, the thing was, I was just watching that game on, on Saturday. Uh, Saturday um, like, Hibs weren't great. Like, people, I, I saw a match report and it was like, Hibs were dynamic, they were exciting. It's just that Aberdeen were so terrible. The body language of all those players was just like, we don't want to be here. As soon as they conceded that first goal, it was like, absolutely game over. It really, yeah, I feel for Jim Goodwin as well, because I, I quite like him. Um, Rangers obviously beat St. Johnston. Ross County beat Kilmarnock 3-0. St Mirren beat Motherwell 1-0 and uh, Livingston and Hearts drew. Just a kind of update of the table. Obviously, we are top, six points clear. Hearts are in third place. Nine. 
Nine. Nine points clear, of course. Jesus Christ. Nine points clear. I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I don't know why you're reacting like that, Alan. That's a bit over the top. But uh, you, you, you're giving us a handicap. That's what you've done there. You've taken three points off the team. I, I just, I just made a mistake, Al. <laughs> just, just a small mistake that was easily rectified. Cautious, like, the vile mainstream media has finally infiltrated fan media. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Uh, just at the bottom, though, you've got uh, Motherwell, Dundee United, Ross County, and Kilmarnock all on twenty points, and St Johnston are only four points off it. It's uh, down the bottom. It's quite exciting. So uh, yeah, great stuff. Uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. We got lots of stuff coming up over the week. Um, so check it out. We also had the uh, some uh, the. House of Tim's uh, the weekend dropped on Saturday. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, you should listen out for that as well if you want uh, something to listen to over the week. But pleasure as always. Um, Alan Edgar, superb stuff, sir. Thank you very much. You also, good hosting job today. If it was a driving <laughs> test, you would have no majors. You would have passed in three minors. I can't wait to this gimmick of you being an arsehole to me just ends. That would be looking forward to that. Although that was quite good. That's quite frustrating. Thank you. Um, Kieran Devlin, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back, sir. Thanks for getting involved. This was all mine. I loved it. Loved every second of it. Loved every bloody second of it. Uh, from Alan Edgar, from Kieran Devlin, from myself, Chris Gallagher, this has been The Agenda, and we'll speak to you down the road.